It's one of the things that about being an engineer or a hacker that's good is, you know, you have more control over your digital world and, and like, kind of to Neil's point, um, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with that? And as more of the world's digital, those that like superpower grows. So, you know, if your listeners are thinking, should I learn to code? Should I learn to do this? Yeah, you sh you should. Like, you'll just you'll get that like, as more and more of our life is digital, you'll get more and more control over that part of your life if you have these technical abilities. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm in the camp of, you know, go into the metaverse or into a video game, let's say, have some fun there, spend some time there, and then go do something else, yeah. <laughs> you know, for a do while. Do that whole outside thing. Like yeah. the ocean's yeah. really great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really like the it's ocean, awesome. actually. Yeah. That's dope. This podcast is sponsored by Vald. Please stay tuned for more information on this amazing company later in the episode. Neil Stevenson conceived the idea of the metaverse 30 years ago in his book, Snow Crash, and Peter Vicenis was the founder of the Bitcoin Foundation. These two mammoths have come together to create something spectacular, a blockchain specifically built for the metaverse of the future. When you conceived the idea of the metaverse, 30 years ago was the current iteration what you had in mind. The big difference is that what made 3D graphics cheap was games. And I just didn't see that coming 30 years ago. I thought it would be more like television. Um, but, um, but instead games happened. And so uh, the, the Doom came along just a few years after Snow Crash, kind of the, I don't know if it was the first, but we think of it as the, the beginning of the world of three-dimensional games. And, uh, and the generations of games that have come in its wake are what drove the cost of graphics hardware down to a level where anyone almost can, can access this kind of environment. It's interesting that we're still really doing it in two dimensions, largely. We are, but you know, uh, I don't, I don't think that distinction is as important as as I used to think. I mean, the at, at the time of writing the book, it was all like, oh, we'll have goggles and we'll be in a three-dimensional world, which is true, and that's happening. Uh, I've worked at a company that makes those those kinds of headsets. But, you know, what has happened, which is super interesting, is that we've all learned how to navigate three-dimensional spaces by looking through a flat 2D window on a screen. And we're running around these spaces, billions of people are playing video games using like the WASD keys on a keyboard and a mouse. And it sounds incredibly awkward, like how could that possibly work as a 3D interface? But the reality is that this is what people are doing. Yeah, why didn't you foresee WASD and mice in your book? It's a it's a steampunk kind of <laughs> kind of concept. Exactly. You it know? is though. Yeah. I mean, you're you're in 3D. The graphics are incredible. You would think that there would be some better way to manipulate what's happening yeah, on the screen. Like Instead, it's the arrow buttons. Early 1900s interface. Yeah, it's an early 1900s. Uh, you know, it's a contraption they built during the steam age. You know, <laughs> for for typing memos in offices, but that is our our way of interfacing with 3D and because of, it sounds like it couldn't work, but because of the, just the development of interfaces uh, over time and just the flexibility of the human brain to take in new interfaces and get good at things, it has ended up being you know, a perfectly serviceable way to run around in 
3D worlds. That makes sense. And obviously, the two of you were clearly early adopters to technology, which is probably why you've come together and are working so well together. But when you founded the Bitcoin Foundation, you somehow saw that this was not just some experiment or a joke extremely early. Talk about the early days of Bitcoin and, and, and why you did that. Yeah, you know, um, well, I remember uh, I got into Bitcoin in 2010 and around early 2011, I started thinking like, this is really good. <laughs> I was like, I really like this. Um, and uh, I thought, but I was worried actually that the it wouldn't survive, and I was lar I was largely worried about it because it was like just such quirky, such quirky people in the early days. And of course, I'm talking like pre 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 history. So you know, your listeners, viewers will have some names in mind when I say them. Those guys are like all the um, people that made it. Kind of, there was like a group before that were just like wild. So um, <clears throat> so when I um. So I was like, what do, what do we need? Like, what does the industry need? And I thought um, legitimacy kind of was like the first thing. So, so when I, that was, that was where my head was at. So I thought, well, maybe if a venture capitalist invested in a Bitcoin company, that would give Bitcoin some uh, legitimacy. And so, we, so I did that. I like hunted down Tim Draper. I gave him his first Bitcoin. Um, he, wrote, he wrote a check and, and anchored CoinLabs, you know, first seed round. Um, that was and I was, that was really big news. So that was by early 2012 we announced that, and it, that kind of like worked. You know, it was like oh, you did Tim yeah. a pretty big favor. <clears throat> um, in, in retrospect, Tim's done great. <laughs> Tim's done great. But um, yeah, a brilliant investor, obviously. <clears throat> um, and then um, shortly after that, kind of on that legitimacy kick, I was like, what do you know? How do we get all the people in the world who are now like getting interested in this something what they need? So, so and at the same time, all of the people working on Bitcoin, like the core devs, just like worked out of their basements. You know, they were doing it full time. Um, Gavin had just taken over from Satoshi earlier that year, and Satoshi had sort of like gone into the heavens, um, not to be heard from again. Um, and um, so I thought, well, like I told Gavin, like let me get you a job. Let me make a little structure around you. Like the core devs were starting to become a place that they had to solve like political problems. They had to talk to journalists. They had to talk to governments. And I was like, maybe some other people could do some of that. Yeah. Um, but all in all of that, I like I, I won't say that I had any idea. I mean, it's obvious because it's ob like uh, how I talk about it with friends is like I did, I said I believe, but I didn't didn't really believe. Like I can tell you that because. I once bought a hamburger for six bitcoins. <laughs> mm. It's not as bad as pizza for 10,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I've definitely, you know, had some moments where it's like, um, you know, you know, and I just had no idea all of this would come about. Yeah. I mean, without people buying hamburgers for six bitcoin, that we wouldn't be where we are now. Yeah, I mean, it there's, had to, it had there's, to be there's two sides to that, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've also given away like hundreds and hundreds of bitcoins in my life. I don't mind that as much. Most people that you give them to lose them, so I mind that. <laughs> they'll call, every time like the price goes up, they'll call and be like, "So I'm like, hi, I haven't heard from you in five years. I pr pretty much know what this conversation's Remind about." Remind me about that private. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's gone, it's gone. Uh, maybe Satoshi's in the metaverse. Um, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. But so I think maybe one other difference, obviously, is the way that the metaverse that you conceived was monetized. 
first. Obviously, now it having this sort of more decentralized and creator economy surrounding it. So, can you talk about why you guys are building what you are building and, and tell everyone what you are building at the moment? So, it's kind of implicit in the metaverse as described in Snow Crash that there's got to be an economy there that pays for all of this. Um, it's not talked about in a lot of detail, but. Um, uh, it is described as being a kind of decentralized system. There's not like the Metaverse Corporation, you know, the Wayland yutani of the Metaverse that squats on top of everything and, and that through which all payments pass. So um, it was shortly after that that uh, I was kind of hanging around with of cypherpunks and people who cared about crypto in the Bay Area, and there was a moment in the 90s when suddenly they were all talking about money and payments. Uh, until then, the emphasis had tended to be more on just privacy and, and that kind of thing. Um, but then they kind of twigged to the whole money thing, and this is obviously pre-Bitcoin, pre-blockchain, um, but um, some of that, I think, finds its way into the Diamond Age, my next book, After Snow Crash, which talks about a, the whole plot of that book revolves around the fact that you can't figure out who people are because of this decentralized system of, of paying creators. Um, and um, if, if you could figure that out, if you, know who, if you knew who was who, the entire plot of the book would, would collapse. Uh, and then the next book was, was Cryptonomicon, which goes even further into everything about digital currency. So um, the, um, uh, the it's, I think it's, it's implicit and eventually kind of explicit in, in my writing that, that the way this stuff works is through some kind of system that enables creators of value in this world to get rewarded when they succeed at, at doing something. And that it happens in a way that doesn't pass through a centralized payment authority. Um, so fast forward to 30 years after snow crash, it seems like we're, that uh, the chain and cryptocurrency has kind of matured to the point now where uh, it's possible for us to actually build a system that will enable us to, to found a metaverse based on that, that way of, of transferring value. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, Neil was just saying, um, well, he's talking about the history of tech catching up with this idea that we're going to have this like more anonymous um, decentralized payment systems. Um, you know, when you look at the existing metaverse companies, they have a business model, and they have uh, that business model is largely around monopolies of some sort. You know, so they're largely walled walled garden solutions. Um, and uh, we haven't been using any companies' names in public <laughs> when we talk about the metaverse. But you know, um, in, in my mind is this question: like, do we want essentially, do we want the metaverse to be just like, let's call it like the social media? explosion and that to me the answer is like absolutely not you I know? call that the Zuckerverse you don't have to say <clears throat> it. yeah 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 so so like what um, what 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 does one do if one wishes to make creative content and live off that today like you take a lot of photos you pr you know you prepare a certain lifestyle 
you know, there's a bunch of services. Some of those you can just sell photos of yourself, depending on how attractive you are. Um, many of them you then have to go hustle. And essentially, like, all the things you might do as a creator on Instagram or, you know, really whatever platform, they benefit the platform, like, a hundred times what they benefit you. Um, that's actually why I think TikTok got so big, is they, they reshifted economics a little bit towards creators. Very but slightly, but Very enough, slightly, but yeah, enough. exactly. So we're like, at least I feel like, this is not the world I would prefer for my children. And it's, and like, to Neil's point, it's, it's not like, it's, it's like, it's a lot worse than the world he, he imagined, even in these really early days. So, so we have a chance, um, so Neil and I co-founded a new blockchain called Lamina One, it's a layer one chain purpose-built for the metaverse. It's basically like the rails for the open metaverse. And I think one of the opportunities we have is to, to change the creator economics on that. So for me, if we get that done, like, I'm happy. We, it may be we have the, the, we're aiming to have like really good dev tooling to make beautiful 3D experiences. We're aiming for all this other stuff. But for me, if there's a place where you have like a more fair creator economy that, that has a, a weight of gravity to it, like, that'll be great. What I find unique about what you just described is that we have quite a few layer ones, but it seems, anecdotally, that each one is trying to capture the newest trend at all times. Yeah. But build for DeFi, and then all of a sudden NFTs are huge. Eh, here's our NFT aspects. We're building all these DApps. Oh, the metaverse is huge. Yes. And it seems like everybody is trying to do everything. Yeah. I haven't really heard of a L1 that says, this is specifically what we're going to do. This is our focus, and sort of puts on the blinders to the rest of it to some degree in a positive way. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like that, it's such a big job. I don't know, like if you wanna. Well, I mean, the, the advantage of, the, as you point out, when people create new L1s, um, it's because there's a specific engineering problem they wanna solve, they wanna hit some aspect of the market. Um, so, um, it just seems reasonable that uh, if, if what you want to do is solve certain specific engineering problems that are intrinsic to building a metaverse, that this is how you do it. You, you, you figure out what those targets are that you want to hit. You, you, uh, you raise money, uh, you hire the engineers to do it, and, um, and you, you roll out a chain that's, that's going to be serviceable for, uh, for people who want to, to work in the metaverse. <clears throat> That's one, where we are now. I mean, one, one, thing, uh, one thing that you just made me think of, <laughs> so thank you, um, but is, is like, I think because we were talking about early days of Bitcoin and then we're talking about all these new layer ones, most of those layer ones, I would say, is kind of what Neil's saying too, have a technical motivation behind building them. Not all of them, but most of them. They want to, they want to add some new tech innovation, and like the people. And I think because blockchains are so technically complicated, mostly it's engineers who get these ideas. Engineers, cryptographers. We're going to build this cool new thing. Bitcoin ha had that, um, but also it had this really strong social element right from the beginning, which was like, you know, Satoshi called it striking a blow for freedom in the Bitcoin paper. Like he wanted a world where central bankers weren't as in control, where banks weren't in control. And so there were a ton of community members early days that um, could, weren't technical at all, but they, they like liked this idea. They, they felt like the world's not how we want it to be. Um, and I think one of the things interesting in the NFT boom of the last couple of years is that like arts-oriented creators have had a path into crypto. They're like, oh, I, yeah, I want this. 
<clears throat> the chains that have made a good place for them have done really, really well. Um, but I don't. But I think most of those chains are chasing market. If that to, uh, to your exa point, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So I hope this will be better in that it's going to be. We're, like we're very consciously starting out with our strategy as mm. that that community as a whole. So, if the world moves on from metaverse in a couple of years, we'll be like the boring chain that has all the metaverse people. But um. I don't think the moves, world's even moved <laughs> into the metaverse yet. We've probably got a little time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to your point, it seems like people were trying to solve, and I love all these layer ones. It's not. Uh, it's I, not I a actually, knock, there's but amazing it, stuff. They're there, yeah. trying to solve the trilemma, right? Yeah. we need to be faster, or we need to be cheaper, or mm -hmm. whatever those are. And most of the solutions then for creators have become clunky. Mm. In the early days of NFTs on Ethereum, you could mint an NFT and sell it for $20 and gas fees were low enough to do yeah. that. Then all of a sudden they became popular and your gas fee was 10 times as much as what you were selling and yeah. it became effectively impossible to do. I just, I believe in a multi-chain world and I don't yeah, think that too. any one of them is going to dominate everything and mm -hmm. I think they were all conceived with the idea of winning. Every, of winning everything. So that's fu that's fundamental to our history. Like you know, the foundation really had that angle up front for Bitcoin. It was like Mac Bitcoin maximalism. It's called like we were going to be the place. So bad bad competitors needed to be snuffed out. Was like the early philosophy. I've that's switched. still the philosophy of uh, for, for, Bitcoin maximalism. For, for many, yeah, it is. Um, but I've switched, and I think kind of like you. You know, you get kind of religious about a chain, and it could be like. Sure. And a lot of people here probably have a religion for themselves. I've been around long enough, I've been like, oh, I'm post-religious, I'm like, oh my God, I love this. And then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Um, but, um, but yeah, I believe in this like much more open, connected, uh, multi-chain future, definitely. Yeah, I think interoperability is really gonna be the problem that needs to be solved at the end of the day. Guys, I have a serious question for you. How much interest are you earning in your bank account? Is it 0.00001% or something similar? We all know by now that there's a better way in crypto, but you wanna be using the best platform possible and that is Vault. I have been using it myself now for quite a while, earning the highest interest rates in the industry. 12.68% on stable coins, 6.7% on ETH and Bitcoin and earning yield on a ton of other assets. But it's so much more than that, guys. They have a robust exchange. You can swap your coins and they have the amazing automatic investment plan where you can dollar cost average or more importantly, buy the dip automatically. We know that when the dip actually comes, nobody buys it because they're scared. Well, you can automate that process now with Vault. Guys, this platform is absolutely incredible. It does everything. They're backed by Pantera and Coinbase Ventures. You really can't ask for anything more. And if you use the link right down below, you get a 40% kickback on trading fees, 5% commission on interest payouts, and 5% commission on loan interest. Guys, sign up right now at thewolfofallstreets.info slash vault. That's V-A-U-L-D. Do it now, seriously. So you're creating this chain. Obviously, you have a more short-term vision of what can be built on it. Give me the craziest 10-year, 20-year what the metaverse could possibly hmm. look like. <laughs> well, you did it 30 years ago, and here we are. 30 years now is like we do dog years, right? So it's 1,000 years down the road, relative, yeah. but... So, uh, I mean, I'm happy to take a stab at it, but one of the things that you learn when you're in the science fiction writing game is sometimes you, you may nail something and get a reputation for predicting things, but 
Most of the time you don't. And most of the time what actually happens. It is called fiction. What is he talking about? <laughs> well, look, I, trading. I, I, gave you, I gave you an example before, right, which is the, the WASD keyboard. You know, the, the way we navigate 3D environments in the real world is through, um, is, is through steampunk key keyboards. So all I'm saying. That will change. Look, that's so not, maybe that's not like a C early. minus on yeah, predictions. Yeah, that's yeah, like an A on. plus on predictions. All I'm saying is that, is, so. that, is that what people actually do with technology is, uh, is usually more interesting than anything mm. that anybody can, can predict. So yeah. like my favorite example is electric guitars, right? So when electricity became a thing, it was popularized by Thomas Edison, we knew there'd be light bulbs and electric washing machines and electric mm. motors. But uh, I don't think anybody saw the electric guitar coming, and they certainly didn't see the impact that that instrument and the styles of music that, that emerged around that instrument would have on the popular culture of the, the world. Um, but it's, it's been an enormous you know, cultural uh, uh, determinant. So, um, so I, I think that um, the right way for us to tackle this is as follows, which is, you know, once we get this thing going, you know, I want to build some stuff there. It's what in the game industry we'd call first party content. It's where the, the company builds a thing. But what we really have to do is create an environment where third party people can do whatever the hell they want. And a lot of it's going to be crazy, and a lot of it's going to fail, but a lot of it's going to succeed, and it's going to succeed in ways that nobody could predict or see coming. We're going to see electric guitars emerging um, in this environment. Um, so, so we need to do both of those things, uh, in my opinion, and so we're, we're trying to structure this, uh, this venture in such a way that it's kind of well capitalized enough that we can build some of those first uh, party ideas that I think are cool, but at the same time we want to find ways to help lots of third-party creators build what they want to build and make electric guitars. I love that analogy. I mean, you want to unlock the creati creativity of the entire world instead of pretending yeah. that you're going to come up with that one thing. Right. Yeah, if, I, if we build to open tooling for like permissionless crazy shit, then we did good. I think um, I'm going I am not the futurist that Mr. Stevenson is. Yeah, but some of that future is <coughs> rubbed off. <laughs> on um, I think it seems pretty clear to me people are going to spend more time like uh, presenting their digital life over the next ten years. You know, people do this a lot. Like, you know, what is your Insta feed like? What all this? So I, I see some of that as people have more. Like a, a really simple thing I would expect in the next five to 10 years. Zooms might happen in like a 3D environment sure. with localized audio. So, you know, probably you're gonna then care what your virtual room looks like a lot, actually. So I would expect a lot of that to happen uh, where, where like people are just starting to like think, okay, this is an extension of who I am, of my brand, of how I present, and like be putting more time and energy in there. 
um, that's one thing that I I will be interested to see, and I would I would like that myself. Like I'd like that. Basically, your your avatar can be who you dreamed <laughs> that you would. Yeah, I mean, like the six the pack will be universe. obvious. Oh, I'm <laughs> super ripped <laughs> like, like in the in the metaverse. I have a sad feeling that most people will just be a worse version of themselves <laughs> in the metaverse. But maybe uh, that's a, a bit of pessimism. But do you think that we get to a full, ready player one? reality where you you know wally the movie right mm -hmm. where you're you're plugged in all the time you're in your chair you're never <coughs> maybe you uh un unplug to eat and use the restroom but otherwise you actually your dominant life is right. in the metaverse you know it's funny as we've been starting to talk to people about this um so there are some people we talk to that that's the future almost that they want even i would say uh, sure and yeah. I fully, mean, they're fully opt out, especially like some of them are if, if you're younger, uh, like this is a really broad strokes, but the, the younger ones t seem to feel like that would be OK. Fuck yeah, let's do this. Yeah, it's a know. disillusionment with what's <clears throat> happening. It would just be better for them. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I think that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I actually like very sensitive to too much in, in visual input myself. So like I would like. I actually, I would imagine before I'm done working, I'll have some sort of passive visual layer that's tied directly to the digital, like kind of like Neil worked at Magic Leap. Magic Leap has these AR glasses, the like Magic Leap 10, you know, or something. I, I would imagine I wouldn't yeah. mind that. Yeah. But what I'm going to want there. Iron Man. Yeah. <clears throat> well, what I'm going to want there is like not the Ready Player One adscape. I'm going to want like really subtle things that help me kind of. You've been talking too long. You've been, you've got your next meeting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, or or make things go away. The the Magic mm. Leap Two mm. has <laughs> selective darkening, right? So, um, uh, we were just having this conversation the other day about uh, certain popular messaging platforms uh, and the visual noise mm. that mm. Uh, can just drive. Some some of us crazy. It's really interesting. Yeah. The ads on the side are gone, but you can focus on the yeah <laughs> the little animations and all that mm. stuff. It's like okay, uh, or just lobby TVs. Yeah, I mean, lobby TVs would be a great thing. I'd, I'd wear I'd wear those glasses today if it could cut out. So, yeah. so would I. And I think you could even make the argument that our existence now versus certainly when you wrote that book in 1992 is a bit of a metaverse. Our iPhones. Yeah. I mean, we do everything yeah. on this device. You can live your yeah. life staring quite right at it. So maybe one of the major iterations of the metaverse becomes what you described, which is a way to actually interact with your environment mm. in a more digital way. Mm -hmm. Or we get, <clears throat> I mean, it's one of the things that, about being an engineer or hacker that's good is, you know, you have more control over your digital world. And, and like, kind of to Neil's point, um, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with that? And as more of the world's digital, those that like superpower grows. So, you know, if your listeners are thinking, should I learn to code? Should I learn to do this? Yeah, you sh you should. Like, you'll just you'll get that like, as more and more of our life is digital, you'll get more and more control over that part of your life if you have these technical abilities. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm in the camp of, you know, go into the metaverse or into a video game, let's say, have some fun there, spend some time there, and then go do something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for do a while. Do that whole outside thing. Like yeah. the ocean's yeah. really great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really like the ocean, awesome. actually. Yeah, and um, so, but you know, people are gonna find their own ways to, to use it for sure. So. Neil has an essay put out years ago just about how humans really seem to prefer these mediated interf interfaces, yeah? So I think, he was, I think it, the hook is like, he's at Disneyland, 
which is this totally artificial environment. And then he saw somebody filming. And yeah, it, this was in the days of camcorders. This is pre-iPhone. So you're, you're, you're walking down this street crowded with people in Disneyland, which is a completely synthetic, fake environment. And uh, there's this guy walking along ahead of me with his, he's holding a, a camcorder up above his head. And he's looking up, he's craning his neck to look up at the little screen. So he's like experiencing this fake environment through this tiny little, yeah. you know, playing card sized screen of his, his camcorder. Well, now at concerts, you're. I was yeah. I mean, but like, call me old. We used to go places and actually watch what was yeah, happening. Yeah, you had a lighter. Yeah. You burned your thumb if that's, you were happy. That's with right. The music. It was really hot. <laughs> Someone saw, um, can you guys solve that on the blockchain, yeah, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, burn my thumb. But I guess the point of that is like, people are going to do whatever they want, and a lot yeah. of people want to want to do this. And, um, you know, so. But I, I, but I do think that that is now the norm. Yeah. I think the majority and, of people who experience something are doing it through the screen on their phone to capture a memory that they'll never look at. Right. And that's what gets me is you never go back and look at those photos. Yeah. And you know, in those people's so I'll, let, let me let me just be devil's advocate for a second and say like whoever was sh sh that dude with the camcorder probably was thinking of his loved ones. Or like yeah. I'm I'm going to film this. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I could want my kids to remember this amazing day that they're having. That's right. Yeah. My my role in the family <clears throat> is to record these events, and you know, I'm going to have a stack of uh, videotapes. You know, <clears throat> it's probably still sitting there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old. My yeah. parents had one yeah. of the early camcorders. It looked like they were out shooting a feature film, and we do occasionally, <laughs> but we do pull do occasionally back pull and them out and yeah. digitize. But the problem <clears throat> is, those were actually important events in our lives. Yeah. You can't go back and look at March 12th, 2018. <laughs> yeah. It's just a random day mm. that you decided to take it out. I, yeah. I'm kind of infamous in our family for whipping out the phone in like a stressful moment and, <laughs> and doing docu-content, being like, so what's happening right now? So I have like a series of videos of my family, wife and kids being like, fuck you, turn that off. And yeah. um, that, I think, but that's the real. <laughs> no, it's really good. I actually realized in my metaverse, I want like a room with all those videos up. <laughs> and that's <laughs> where like you send a, your kids to time room. out. No, the, the, <laughs> hall of, the hall of fame of <laughs> family arguments. There's so many. No, they're not even. They're just like they actually are worth recording. You know, we have these moments that are really bad or really good. You well, know. But that's the problem. Even talking about sort of <clears throat> I'm going to create my perfect avatar and my perfect environment. It's not the real story necessarily. It's the story that we're putting forward. And I think that yeah. that's one of the biggest problems. So actually, the real moment when things were bad is a much yeah. more impactful and, and true representation yeah. of what was what was happening. And you said, game it. You know, we'll go play the game, and then you'll go back. The ocean's really nice. Yeah. Is gaming still really the core purpose, do you think, of this moving forward? Or what else do you see potentially being built? I would say that uh, I would maybe frame it just in a little different way, which is to say that uh, people who make games are kind of, we're going to see them as the pioneers of a whole new way of, of interacting with, with one another and with imaginary situations. And right now, um, it's all kind of in this narrowly defined category called video games. Um, but um, the people who make those games and who make the systems that's, that make those games, the engines and the tool chains, have all gotten incredibly good at, uh, at 
at certain skill sets that can be used to create engaging experiences. Um, and, um, and those are the people who are going to uh, be, be needed to, to make any kind of metaverse that people are going to want to spend time in because mm. they know how to do it. Now, I think that a lot of what's going to get built there is probably going to be very game-like because why not? Right. You, you know, um, but I think that, um, you know, we're seeing now that game engine technology is beginning to expand beyond the confines of that industry and it's now responsible for a lot of what we see on movies, movies. and TV. Yeah. It's so yeah. realistic. Yeah. Yeah. We have kind of like, Game companies are eating the world. I mean, Andreessen just announced their first game fund. And yeah. yeah, if you think of Unreal, Unity to some extent, but Unreal, it's like, it's actually the thing for arts and culture, fashion, all that. I mean, CGI in movies is so realistic, and that's yeah. effectively from... Yeah, right, that's the I mean, basically, basically the, the, the motion picture industry and the game industry are competing for the same talent, mm. the people who know how to make stuff in those worlds and um game industry makes a lot more money it does oh yeah it's way bigger yeah oh sure sure it's been bigger for a long time but but the the point is that there's this pool of talent of people who know how to do that and um and there's a market for that talent so um so i i think that the way in i i think that the the metaverse at least in its first iterations is going to be built on game engines by game people yeah i, I think that makes sense i mean i remember when COVID hit, how much of an innovation, even though we weren't using it in the same way, FaceTime and Skype, Absolutely. To, to be able to connect with people that weren't there. I would love to see a world where people who are bedridden or sick can go visit the pyramids that mm. they never got sure. to do in their yeah. life and, and actually feel, not just go look at pictures of it, but live in a world where they feel like they, had, they were able to have these experiences. Those were some really compelling early VR experiences. Like Valve put out, like there's, you can go to Mars, they've got all these photos from the Mars rover and you can go and um, they're actually, you know, they're limited they're, for a bunch of reasons, but they are emotionally pretty compelling. I, or you can go to the space station. Oh my God, I, I tried <coughs> that for two minutes and I was so ready to puke that uh, I yeah. well, to turn it off. So I gotta, I gotta, better, I gotta get there. Yeah, tech, the tech keeps yes. getting better, but yeah. So yeah, there's, I think. But do you think we can get to a point where you not only get sort of the visual of it, but the feeling? We can, oh, de definitely. Like um, a lot of, the, and a lot of the research is it's just about latency. So. Um, you know, 90 frames a second versus 120 frames a second is really different. Actually, the first VR I did was uh, in the 90s in the Silicon Graphics Indigo machine using software Darren Lanier made called Body Electric. It was like 15 frames a second with no textures, and, and you were like, <laughs> you know. So, um, but the, you know, like Abrash, some of these guys figured out like, okay, if it's, if it's super high frame rate and super low, uh, latency. latency, then yeah. your brain is like, this is real. It doesn't need, it actually doesn't need to be realistically rendered. Your, your brain weirdly doesn't care about that. It just cares that it's like, and the reason you get, the reason you get nauseous is because like your brain thinks like you've been poisoned. Like yeah. when you move and you see it a second later, it's like, oh my God, get it out of your system. I didn't realize it was the latency that was the issue. Yeah. But those are technical problems. Those get solved. Yeah. Always. They are, yeah. they are largely <laughs> solved in modern hardware, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, it turns out there's others too. So like, mm. like everything you said is, is right, but there's um, uh, like one of the things I picked up on kind of working at Magic Leap is that the, the stereoscopic system is, um, which most of us equate with 3D vision is for real, but um, 
there's a whole bunch of other cues that our eyes mm -hmm. and brain you pick up on in, in much more subtle ways to um, to to uh, assemble a 3D environment from visual input, mm. and and we know that because people with one eye still have three-dimensional. They can get around. Yeah, right. they can get around just fine, and a lot of it has to do with things like shaders. You know how light uh, ref refracts and reflects off of off of objects and. Uh, like super subtle cues that the the brain knows how to decode, um, that um, that aren't always uh, covered just by having low latency and mm. and and high high resolution. So, but you know, as as time goes on, I think people are going to figure that stuff out too. Mm. It's sort of the zero one, <coughs> made it from zero to one. Yeah, and now it's yeah. let everybody yeah. run with it. And yeah. like, and again with kids, like my kids, watching them use VR or something. I think you're, we have neuroplastic brains, especially when we're young, and yeah. so they'll, they they may well learn to ignore those or not. My daughter is seven and does the fastest roller coasters <clears> in there, and I have to put on the blinders and do the kiddie rides. It's yeah. sort of yeah. the opposite of real life. Yeah, I, I I was dismissive sort of of Oculus and VR initially, and I was mind blown the first time I put it on. I actually use it to exercise. I box in, uh -huh. in, in, oh, in yeah, the yeah, Oculus, yeah. and yeah. I do, do all the sort of gaming. I find it actually incredible and can imagine a world where I don't have to wear this uh, 10 pound helmet to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the wearables are probably going to be a huge part of. That'll be a big deal and there'll be a lot of just representing other parts of your digital life passively like like Neil saying on screen 2D. I think, you know, I don't think of this as just a VR, AR, uh, XR kind of thing. Um, but obviously it'll be a big part of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Where are you guys in the process now? But where would you say uh, the yeah, one, the one to ten? For for, yeah, for the company yeah. building the blockchain, yeah. developers, uh, projects. We are super early, so we just closed our friends and family around like a week and a half ago, um, and um, we'll be we'll have a test slash beta net up this fall. Um, one of the things about this, as opposed to another kind of blockchain, is like there's all the there's all the content. So there's all there's like we want to we want we need a chain that has this certain support for spatial OS stuff, but then we also need stuff aimed at it and pointed at it. And sure. so we'll have a series of announcements. Like we have some early partners and stuff that'll be coming out this summer. But kind of like bridging the spatial and the crypto is definitely going to take some time. So I would imagine. Yeah, but our my goal for us um, is that we all build it together. So like if your viewers are interested discord.gg slash lamina one just come to our discord there's an immense amount of work to do and and i'm hoping we'll have like a bunch of touch points along the way that are exciting so, so you have like a projected idea of when you would mainnet and sort of <coughs> live the, the goal is q1 next year um and what that even means like it will not be feature complete at oh, mainnet. Of course. Yeah, but um, but that's I think at this goal. point we just want stuff that doesn't break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, we're, yeah. we're in the break everything yeah. and people lose money phase, yeah, which is not, not uh, the yeah. best. So I, I think everybody in this space people expect tomorrow. Right? Yeah, it's kind of a, a get rich quick, get fast quick, get cheap yeah. quick, and. This is more the, time. this is the sh <laughs> the Shackleton pitch like long yeah. hours, hard work, freezing to death. Um, yeah. And if you if that sounds good to you, like you're our kind of builder, and we'll we'll make something awesome. Well, I absolutely love the approach, and uh, we'll be following very closely. And I would love to have you guys back on yeah. when it does launch <laughs> and see see what you've built. Yeah, and, that'd be and fun. That'd be really fun. Yeah.
Thank you so much. It's really an honor. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Good Pleasure. Time. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do that now. Spotify just added ratings, so please go ahead and click that five star. I'll see you guys next time.